Welcome to By the Glass, a podcast dedicated to boozy beverages and the people who make and drink them. I'm your host, Chris Paldoy. Earlier this week, I released my conversation with Rachel Dolraco Terrasas, and we both decided that an addendum was in order. Uh, we recorded that talk before the election, but more importantly, uh, we recorded that chat before the New York Times released an article outlining the pervasive sexual harassment within the Court of Master Sommeliers. If you haven't read that article, it is required reading for this podcast. The article was written by Julia Moskin and features former guest Rania Zayat. Um, Rachel pursued upper-level certifications within the court for many years before moving into journalism, so I wanted to give her a chance to share her perspective with listeners. Uh, we'll just jump right in. No regrets. I'm going to get... That's the, that's the tattoo, right? Misspelled, no regrets. <laughs> exactly. But, um, that's actually a show that I watched during quarantine. I rewatched um, Jersey Shore season one. Oh, yeah? Never seen it. It's on it. Hulu. You got to watch it. It's so good. I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. That was my high school experience, so I don't need to watch it. Did you grow up by the <laughs> I shore? I lived it. No, really? but we. But you go to the. You that's what you do over the summer. Was did you work at a t-shirt shop like no. on the pier? Did no, you, but what was I, your summer no, job? No, I didn't have a summer job. But for vacation, you go down yeah. there with your friends. You literally, yeah. as a New Jerseyan, you literally do blast out living on a prayer while you're driving down the Garden State Parkway and you get to the shore and it's a thing. Like that is a thing. That is a real thing. I'm also speaking with my hands right now, which I'm realizing I'm doing. Yay, gabagool. Um, And you do that. Um, (laughs) So all summer vacations, you at least spent one somewhere down the shore. Uh, My first, I was- Was that your first alcohol experience? Like- or no, did you wait until you were 21? I waited to... until college. Mm. I waited until college. But I did get my belly button pierced when I was 16 what? on the on the Jersey boardwalk. Hell yeah. <laughs> there you go. Very. You go. I would say it was rebellious, but my parents signed for it. They really didn't care. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Who knows? So much has happened in two weeks. Since we spoke. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's amazing because like we recorded that and I was like, it's going to come out right after the election. So either people will be listening like under a bunker because it's a civil war or, you know, people won't be in a bunker, but it'll still be like a cultural civil war or yeah, some shit like exactly. that. But but we we survived, you know, allegedly Biden's president. So that's exciting. Yes. yes. No need to get that uh, Canadian passport. Exactly. I was going to either be here or in Canada, and I was here in New Jersey. What did you do? Um, I guess, what did you do Tuesday night of the election? What did you do Saturday night? You mean um, Tuesday through Saturday of the election? Yeah. <laughs> yeah election night was actually uh, like a 96-hour. Three, yeah. four, 90, <laughs> 68. Um, Tuesday, I stayed up late. I was up until about 3.30. Um, just watching and I did that for three more days and I I actually just wrote a post on my Instagram about this I did I did not take care of myself I it was just not good behavior I was like just drinking coffee I was staying up all night I was glued to my phone I was glued to the television I would try and turn the tv off and then I'd be like I can't do it 
I gotta <laughs> watch it. I canceled things. I canceled appointments. I like changed my workouts. I was just like a mess. And then finally, I think I, I did take some time out to go to dinner for my anniversary. That's good. And then I think the one time that I decided to leave the house for a walk on Saturday morning is when they called it finally. And I was not there. Go figure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, it would have been around like, I guess, 11 in the morning, your time, like 10 or 11 mm-hmm. in the morning. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was very, I was happy. I was yeah. a happy camper. Did you pop a bottle to celebrate? What did I do? I did not, but. Um, I'm on a little break. I'm on a little drinking break. Much needed. Um, or I would have bit felt even worse than I already did. Um, I feel like I did do something. I think I baked cookies or something. Hell yeah, cookies. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I was just like, fuck it. Let's do it. Yeah, I drank Mezcal Tuesday night. And then Saturday night they gave speeches. So that night I popped a bottle of Clos de la Roulette, the... Uh, Louis Dresner Beaujolais project that's uh, in Fleury, I think. It's like at the border of Fleury and Moulinavon, I think. It's got a horse on the label. Um, yeah. I love that wine. The last time, the last election in 2016, I opened a bottle and obviously it didn't go the way I wanted it to. So I thought it would be nice to reopen. Change it up? Yeah. But we did our, we recorded that episode, I think, on a Tuesday. And then just a couple days later, that New York Times article dropped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot has happened. A lot has happened in both the global world and the wine world. Yes. Do you Crazy. do you find that people in in your circle at least are very aware of that th- this situation coming out? I find that it's obviously a big point of discussion within restaurants and in the food and wine community, but beyond that, I'm wondering how much is really reaching average consumers. You know, that's a good question because I was talking to some family members about this whole thing and they had no idea. Um, And I had to kind of direct them to the article. So I think, um, I don't know, but I, I do know a lot of our, you know, main like wine publications are definitely covering this. And, you know, we talked about it in our newsletter and at the Vintner Project and all that kind of stuff. But... That's a really good question because you kind of have to talk to people outside of the world. And um, we're notoriously insular as a, as a group, we, right? Yeah. So I I mean it's hard because I'm in it. So it I mean I'm seeing it everywhere. And I did try and explain this to to somebody the other day of kind of like how big of a deal this was. And um, you know it does happen in a lot of industries, but still you still got to deal with it. You know, yeah. How did you approach it? Because you said you mentioned it in the newsletter, like you addressed it in some capacity. What was that? Um, we the first one that we put out had the article because I usually put together headlines for the week. Um, mm. Kind of, I do my own digging and put together kind of what I think are really fun reads for the week. And sometimes, you know, when these really serious things come up, um, and I really wanted to express our solidarity with the women who were put in this position to Liz and Rania and all the people, you know, all of those that are personal friends of mine and, and, um, for the women and that's it. It's just unacceptable and things need to change. So we did put out a statement, you know, you know, expressing our support for the women who came forward and all of those who came before them. And, um, 
and everybody that's kind of speaking out and because it's hard. It's really hard to do. And in general, even let alone on, on a public platform. And But I'm really proud proud of them. I mean, that's really difficult. And um, we're there. We're there for them. They have my support. They have our support. Mm-hmm. So. Well, you know, it's funny. You said that so many of the people in that article are friends of yours. And something that really struck me is how many of not just the victims, but the perpetrators are here in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. And you worked in the Austin market, you worked here in the Houston market. And in our previous conversation, you talked a lot about being part of the court of master sommeliers, you know, that you got your certified, you were working towards your advanced exam, you were in, you know, very similar sorts of situations, you know, that a lot of these other individuals were, you know, pursuing validation within this very kind of hierarchical, quite frankly, mysterious sort of community. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, a, that was just it. That was what you had to do. Um, that's how I felt anyway. You know, when I started studying wine, it was, you know, I was just, I was working at a restaurant in Austin. I wanted to learn more and the certification is what you did. And I worked with people who were going for their MSs. Um, their master sommelier pins and things like that. And this was just kind of the thing you did in order to be legit in the wine industry. You would have, you would have to go through this, this process. Mm -hmm. Um, And I took my intro and I took my certified um, and, and did all of that kind of stuff. And I, I never had, I am, I did not, I was fortunate enough to never have a situation like what happened to these women in the article happened to me. So I, I didn't really get that firsthand, but there you could see as I started kind of working into like the upper echelons of the advanced exam and, and working with you at Camerata, um, that was kind of what you did. Like you were like, it was, it was a bubble of where what you did was you worked at the bar and you studied in your spare time for your next pin, for your next test, for your next competition. Um, and that's all, that's all you did. And, and you were supposed to be stressed about it. You were supposed to do this. And, you know, when we, when you're working in these kind of environments, like there is this hierarchical, you know, like the caste system, for instance, where you walk in and, and you're in a work environment and it's like, who has the higher pin? They get, you know, I want to talk to them and it, mm-hmm. it's, and that's not, you know, oh God, they have a red pin or like, oh, they have, I mean, you could see that at, at things like Texom or, you know, it was definitely like this, it, it gave people a lot of power. That pin gave a lot of people a feeling of power and it gave people with lower pins a feeling of inadequacy. Um, that is so obvious to me. Um, and was always very obvious to me as I started kind of getting really into it. Um, I know you said it be- it became obvious to you as you were getting further and further into it. Do you remember there being like a light switch where, you know, you were just like, this is kind of fucked up? Um, I kind of, I kind of kept going because the other thing that I, you know, as I kind of talked about with you a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, being in restaurants and thinking that this is the only way that you could enjoy wine or work with wine or work with spirits. For me, what it felt like was if I don't do this court system and if I don't stay in restaurants, what the hell am I going to do? And 
that's when I finally took a step away, I was like, wait, don't wait. Blah, 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 blah. My value is not, is not defined by an organization, a pin or anything of that nature. I can't remember what that light bulb was. I think it was probably just getting to the point where I was kind of over it. Um, and just having that kind of reminder of like, whoa, 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 wait a second. My career is what I want it to be. My mentors are who I want them to be. And I'm going to study what I want to study. And I'm going to, and that, that's it. Like, that's all that there is to it, you know? And, um, and as I, so it wasn't anything in particular, I think, I, as I said, I kind of always side-eyed there. It, there was always kind of me there doing it always with like a little bit of a side-eye. That I, was the New Jersey in you just think <laughs> like x-ray vision, seeing the shit in other people, just being like, nah, not I think fan. That's I'm a not meme. about this. I think there's, there's a meme of that somewhere <laughs> of me side-eyeing things. Um, because it felt, it felt strange all the time. It felt, it did feel like, I know I was, you know, it's, I was always like uncomfortable in the dress. I always, um, my results were based on nerves alone. Um, because you're sitting in front of three people that are like supposed to be super important, but they're just human beings just like you are. And, and that makes you nervous. And and that was the reasons, there was a lot of reasons why I didn't pass those things. That's what I was told anyway. And then, you know, as I kind of, I, I took it twice. I took the advanced exam twice and then I went to go take it. Um, I didn't pass. So I went to go, you know, check out the application the third time, but I was already, I was already kind of like, not just side-eyeing, but like, what's more than side-eyeing, full-eyeing, just looking (laughs) at them, looking at them with like a, (laughs) looking them straight on (laughs) with like a, what the fuck? (laughs) Um, I remember looking at the app. So I had just started to get into Um, I just started to get into writing and I was working at a magazine and I had left restaurants and um, I went to go and I said, you know, I've been taking this thing for however long I've been studying this stuff forever. Like I need this. There was just this kind of like, everybody wants this thing. And I remember being like, well, I'm going to take it a third time. Like, why the hell not? Like, I just want this pin. Um, I've worked so hard for so long. Why not? And I remember looking at the application and it was right after I left restaurants and right after the scandal, um, the MS cheating scandal. And I just had already been like, all right, this smells weird to me. And we should clarify for people, right? That you don't just get to sit for this exam because you're quote unquote qualified for it. it. You know, you get to sit for the exam you have to apply. You yeah. can't just sit. You can't just say, I'm going to take this. I'm going to pay whatever it costs, and then I'm going to do it. You have to apply to be given the opportunity to take the test. And you have to pay to apply to take the test. Um, and so, and I remember reading the application, and it asked me those same questions that I had asked myself like three years ago, like, or however long ago I started asking myself those questions, like, who are your mentors? Who are your MS mentors? Um, who, who specifically are worked with, you know, did you work in a restaurant? And if you're not working in a restaurant, are you taking shifts on the side? And I remember being like, no, 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 because my mentors are not MSs, you know, and I am not going to go, um, 
go try and kiss butt and be friends with somebody just to get an access to this exam. And I read an article, I think it was in the New York, I think, I can't quote the author, but I think it was in the New Yorker talking about, you know, it feels like a country club and that's how it always, you know, if, if you weren't pretty enough, if you weren't dressed pretty enough, if you didn't become best friends with people who were MSs, if you didn't find the right mentors, if you, then you had no shot. Yeah. And this is kind of, all of this kind of coming out has definitely proven that it was that and, and much, much worse. Mm -hmm. So it felt exclusive. And I think we talked about, you know, I was listening back to our podcast and I didn't realize that I had mentioned the court so many times and it made me realize I was thinking about the times where I mentioned them and I was saying, you know, and I think I mentioned them when I said, you know, people need to realize that there's work outside of restaurants and the court doesn't make you feel that way. And that's not true. And, you know, I was talking about learning how to taste after deprogramming my court grid after being in the program for so long. And, and that's because all of those, all of those systems are exclusionary and they don't allow people to be themselves and have their own relationships with wine. They force you to have their relationships with wine. And that's not what this is about. So um, you know, I was, I was reading that and I was like, every time I mentioned to them, it was because I was trying to deprogram myself from the kind of system that they already put in place. And, and, um, I was doing that and I think we're doing that now. And I'm, I think it's a good thing. In, in our last episode, in our last chat, we talked about how important it is to get rid of some of these gatekeepers, right? And part of what you're trying to do with Vintner Project is give people the opportunity to express themselves where they may not have had the ability to do it with one of the more like prestige print, you know, mm -hmm. journals or magazines or whatever, right? You know, that there needs to be some sort of democratizing and the court's a great example of that in another form, right? You know, it's these people get to decide who gets to wear the pin and gets to be that like, quote unquote, like thought leader within the community. And I think that there needs to be more, not just equality, but um, equity, if that makes sense. Yeah. And also just, just nobody, the thing that drives me crazy about all of this is that you know, there are people who are really good at wine and there, there are people that know a lot about wine and have had a lot of experience about wine, but there is a responsibility to, to create conversations and also leave judgment at the door, allow people to like what they like and find room to educate. So, you know, you want to get your high horse about whatever it is you want to get on that's fine, but use your platform to, you know, say what you need to say. If people want to listen, then great. If they don't, then they don't. I'm sure you'll reach one or two people and, you know, get them off of their white claw. But like, if they <laughs> want to drink white claw, then let them drink white claw. Like, yeah. and all these people that come in that want to learn more. I feel like, I feel like that sense of inadequacy of just being somebody that's starting out in the industry. Um, is so big and it's so the wine world is so intimidating and 
I think we have a tendency to just kind of <clears throat> shove them out the door and say, oh, you know, and I think a lot of that has to do with this kind of hierarchy that has been put in place in the, in the instance where, you know, and it's for, for people of color, for, you know, for LGBTQ and like trans, but like, it's just, it's amazing how disenfranchised they've been in wine education and because of all of these systems, like, and women, just all, all of the above, like they've just been thrown out the door because this is, they're new, they want to learn and the people who have the knowledge have wanted the power instead. So that needs to change. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, I could go on forever. <laughs> uh, we'll see. I love it. Cool. Well, Rachel, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Second time over. Yay. Thanks for, um, you know, I'm sorry it was so close to deadline. Ah, no, it's all good. It's all good. We'll talk soon, okay? <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening to another episode of By the Glass. Please follow Rachel and the Vintner Project on Instagram and sign up for her newsletter. We'll see you next week with another episode.